bless you. So we're going to continue this series on deliverance, and uh, it's called Free Indeed. And um, like I said other times, you won't hear this everywhere, but you should. And I think America and the world would look a lot different if you did. But uh, last week we looked at demonic activity in the Old Testament. We looked at stories, had demonic influence, stories from the days of Noah, the days of Joseph, King Saul, Elijah, and many others. We also looked at types and shadows of demons in the Old Testament. We mentioned the Chaldeans and how they were a type of demon in the Old Testament. And if you didn't hear that, you can go back and listen to it. But the Chaldeans were thieves, and it said in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6, that they desired to live in dwelling places that are not theirs. Okay? So then we looked at the question, can Christians be demon-possessed? And the general thought seems to be, the most Christians I've talked to, that Christians cannot be demon-possessed because possession implies ownership and we are owned by God. And I agree with that. It's very logical. I agree with that. But the original language, there's actually two words for the word possession. One is the word possession, like ownership, like you own your home, you own your car. And the other one means under the influence or power. And every time in the New Testament the word is mentioned demon-possessed, even the guy in the, in the Gerasenes, this guy had the legion, even that guy didn't say he was owned by demons. He was says under the influence of the power of demons. Okay? So I do agree, believe that demons cannot possess, ownership-wise, a Christian, but a Christian can possess a demon. You can own one of them or rent them or lease them or have them around as a squatter or whatever. Uh, it happens. Okay? So today we're going to go further into this question, discussing the question if Christians can have spirits, evil spirits, unclean spirits, and also um, look at how demons gain access into people's lives. So our main text this series has come from John eight thirty six, which says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you should be free indeed. And I think, I think if people knew the freedom that was made available through Jesus, they'd be much more hungry for freedom much more hungry to go after the things of God if they knew just how free they could be because they already think they've maxed out, like, this is as good as it's going to get. Life is right here. They get, hit that mark in age or whatever, like, this is as good as life's going to get. Well, there, with God, there's always more. Yes. There's always more. There's always more. So I want to show you this verse in context, John eight 36. We'll start with verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Let's see if that's on there. So who is G- who's talking here? Not a trick, okay? And who's he talking to? Jews who believed in him, right? So would they be believers? Okay, this is the context. He's talking to us, all right? Just want to make that clear. Verse 31 continued. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will make us free? Notice that just like the church today, these Jews were offended at the thought that they might be in bondage. They're offended by the question, offended by the implication that they might actually be in bondage. But the weird thing about this is how quickly they forget, how quickly we forget sometimes the things from our past that God's already delivered us from. In some ways, he's, in things he needs to deliver us from. But there's a real problem with the statement these Jews made here. The Jews were in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. Hello, did you forget about that? Every, every time you take the Passover meal, every time you're celebrating coming out of slavery, yet they've never been in slavery before. They, the Jews were taken captive to Babylon for 70 years. That's 500 years. They said they've never been enslaved to anybody. And the, currently, the present condition, they were very oppressed by the Romans at that time. 
Very oppressed. If you want to walk one mile, no, walk two. Take your coat, they just take whatever they want from you. And they didn't know it, but they were also enslaved to the devil. All of them. Because Romans 7.14 says this, We know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. We don't have time to go into all that today, but that happened in the garden at the fall when Adam and Eve chose to believe the devil more than they believed God. So they had here 500 years of slavery, Roman oppression, demonic oppression, and these people said they were never in bondage to anybody, and they were offended. And you know what? The church can do that too. We can just say, well, yeah, you know, well, my life's better than this guy's. My life's going, we're not talking about financial blessings right now or any kind of scale, middle class or anything. We're talking about freedom in your spirit, freedom in your soul, in your body. Actually, I didn't mean to say spirit there. You're already free in your spirit if you're born again because demons don't live in your spirit. They live in your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. That's what they try to influence. Your spirit's been perfected forever. It's sealed by the blood of Jesus. But your soul realm is where they try to influence us, how you think, feel, act, how you treat people, okay? I love uh, the look on people's faces sometimes when I talk about demons. just going to tell you that. <laughs> it's really kind of funny. Some are just like, yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> but it's Okay. I'm not teaching this to be afraid of demons. I'm teaching this to be empowered that you have absolute dominion and authority through Christ to cast them out of yourself, others, and whatever. Amen. Dogs, if you have to. All right? They went into pigs, so maybe they went into dogs. I don't know. But today, just like the Jews, people get offended by that. Their denial of their past, their denial of their family's life, and the influence that their family may have had on their soul realm, and then they just think they just prayed this prayer, went to the altar one day, and now everything's hunky-dory, everything's great. Now, it can go like that, you can actually go to the altar and be delivered from everything and all at once. But for others, sometimes it's progressive. Quite often it's progressive. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, meaning in bondage to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. How long do sons abide? And I love that verse right there. Forever. We're not, we're not, it's not a rental system here. God's made us sons and daughters forever. Amen. And verse 36 goes on to say, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Not 50% or 60, but 100%. Amen. So Jesus desires to take us out of bondage and make us free indeed. I heard Robert Morris say this once. He said that in his experience with helping people get deliverance, the only people that could not become free are the ones that didn't acknowledge they actually were in bondage. If you had an issue in your life, it's something you've repented of again and again and again, asking God to forgive you for this and this and this, and you're still doing it, and uh, it's been 20 years, 10 years, it might be something else. It might not just be you have weak in the area of this or whatever. It might actually be a demonic spirit that's influencing you strongly in this way. I heard Randy Clark say this. He used to go around saying, after he got deliverance, that I don't feel tempted at all anymore. And God said to him, uh, don't say that, okay? He said, the truth is, you don't feel the inspiration from demonic influence to make you tempted, but your flesh still feels tempted from time to time. Well, there's a difference. The temptation with a demonic influence is like gas on a fire, you know? But when it's just your flesh, it's just like a normal temptation, like, ah, no. There's it, it a big difference, okay? So once again, demons are real, and demons desire to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And one of the main targets is Christians. They don't have to target non-saved people. They already have them. They want to target Christians because they, they want to target pastors, okay? If they can take out a pastor, then they're going to take out the sheep, you know, strike the shepherd, you know, the sheep scattered, all that kind of thing. How many people have been hurt by a pastor falling, a pastor this and that? But then when they do fall, no one's there to restore them gently. 
like the word says, because maybe we're not spiritual enough. It says, you who are spiritual, restore such one gently, right? But anyway, a main target of demons is going to be Christians. But it's not, again, not to make you afraid, but to make you aware, all right? Who knows what John 10.10 10 says? All right? Let me hear. Anybody? At least the first part. All right, very good, Kenneth. Good to see you guys here today. I'm glad you're feeling better too, Rebecca. Um, again, so I'll read this first to John 10, 10, the whole thing. It says, a thief does not come. I mean, the only reason he comes. He does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and you may have it subpar. You may have it hokey-dokey. Okay, it's fine. It's, it's all right. It's better than my parents. It's better than It's all right. You know, whatever. Come on, right? What does it say? More abundantly. Means ever increasing abundance in your soul prosperity, your health, your spiritual health, your soul care. So again, Jesus speaking here, who is the thief he's referring to? Who's the thief? Okay, very good. Now I want to show you this in context. We're going to go back to John 10, beginning with verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Aren't you glad he knows your name? And, he brings, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but as usual, they had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> they didn't understand the things that he spoke. Verse 7, And Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door... If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. Amen. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. Let's stop for a minute. I'm going to pray for this ambulance or first responder, whatever's going by here. Let's see who it is. Ambulance. All right, God, we just pray for abundant life for the family that he's going, they're going to go help. We bless them in Jesus' name. Pray if it was a serious thing, it'd become a minor thing by the power of God in Jesus' name. So verse 1 start out, Jesus saying, um, most assuredly. And that word is the word amene, and it's where we get our word for amen. And the word amen means firm, verily, truly, faithfully, trustworthy, surely, or so be it. So Jesus is saying, I promise, I promise, what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. Okay? He said, the sheep must go through the main door, which is Jesus, in order to enter the safe place of the sheep pen. There's no way to the Father except through Jesus. He is a door into the kingdom of God. The sheep pen represents the kingdom, represents uh, our Christians. Once they enter the sheep pen, Jesus becomes the good shepherd he leads them in their spiritual journey out into the pastures and back with the sheep pen at night. They're back and forth on these spiritual journeys. He's walking before you. He's leading you in these spiritual journeys with him. Okay? While you're on these spiritual journeys going back and forth, there's a stranger that's going to try to speak to you. Stranger danger. 
right? Don't listen to a stranger. But uh, there's a stranger going to try to speak to you. The stranger here is the thief and the robber. It's the same one. He's a thief and watch. Thief and the robber mentioned earlier, he's also the wolf that's mentioned at the end of this chapter. Okay? The stranger, the robber, the thief, and the wolf are all referring to the... Yes, good job. You guys paid attention to Sunday school. All right, verse 1 again says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. He didn't say here they can't get in. They just said they can't get in through him. Do you see it? It says, I'm the door, but they climb up some other way. They try to climb the fence. They try to climb the gate. They try to go in some other way. There's some other way these spirits are trying to get into the sheep pen because in the sheep pen is where the sheep are. And when they don't just get in the sheep pen, they don't want to just be there. They want to be in the sheep. They want to be in us, the sheep. So the thief and the robber tries to get in the sheepfold some other way. Now, um, he, let me go to this part here. Um, how demons, I don't care how demons gain access into our lives. There's three main ways demons gain access into your life, into my life. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, they just are going to try to do that, okay? Again, please don't be afraid. I'm trying to empower you. You can say no to the devil in Jesus' name, and he must flee. Resist the devil, he must flee from you. It says, he'll flee. of course, we know he'll flee from God, but it says you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. There's power in you to say no to these things. But uh, we have to be empowered also by in our knowledge of the word of what, what, what he's paid for for us. So one of the ways, there are three ways, uh, main ways, but one of the ways that enemy gains access into our life is generationally. Okay? Deuteronomy 5, 9 says this, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or sin of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. When people get involved, the context here is, of course, witchcraft or idol worship. When people get involved in idol worship and things like that, the sins of the fathers are passed down to the sons and daughters to the third and fourth generation. Okay, now, um, that's, that's a lot of people. I don't know if you ever stopped to do the math on that, but you have two parents, four grandparents. Then you guess you'd have eight great-great-grandparents, and you'd have 16 great-great-grandparents for four generations. That's 30 people. You know, I met my great-grandmother, Haywood, and she was a blessing, very spiritual Christian lady, very respected. Um, but I don't remember if I met any other seven uh, great-grandparents or not. I definitely didn't meet any of my great-great-grandparents. So there's people, there's 23 people there just doing the math of people that could potentially have done something in idol worship or something along those lines that might have done something to bring something into my life, into my family line. And then you go around saying, well, I was just born that way. That's just the way I always was. Well, of course you're born that way. We're all born in sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need deliverance. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need salvation, to save our souls from these things. So um, I'm not saying this to put any guilt, condemnation on anybody, or to badmouth anyone's family, but we don't have perfect people living on the planet. And our families sometimes get deceived. They make bad decisions like we all have. And sometimes they get involved in things that are not godly, and they open the door to demonic influence. And just like things are passed through your genes, uh, through your bloodline, going to generation to generation, these spiritual issues can go generation to generation. And you think, well, that's just how that family is. They've always been like that. Well, guess what? That cycle can break. In Jesus' name, someone will step up to the plate and take ownership in it, acknowledge it, and renounce it and get free from it. Yes. It doesn't matter if, you're, if your dad, your mom was the most addicted person to whatever. It matters that Christ is now in you, the hope of glory. Yes. And now you're now part of the generation, the, the lineage of Jesus. Yes. So um, Hosea 4, 6 says, My people perish because of lack of knowledge. 
Ignorance of bondage can lead to generations of more bondage. You don't know. Well, I didn't know my grandmother did that. Well, I didn't know my great-grandmother did that. I didn't know this happened. I didn't know that happened. And I'm not asking you to go back and ask all the dirty, dark secrets of your family tree. That would be dishonoring to your family. But I'm saying you can ask the Holy Spirit. Is there something I need to be set free from? Is something my family opened the door to that's now in our family line that I need to get some deliverance in my life from? And he'll tell you. He might not tell you which one it was because he's not one to dishonor people. But he'll lead you into stuff. He can also get people to help you with that. But Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You have to know the truth first in order to be, it's a, the truth that you don't know is not going to help you. Amen? It's the truth that you know will set you free. So God wants you to be free. So generational sins is one of the ways we can receive, we can receive demons and access into our life. All right? Number two is sins that we commit. Sins we commit can also open the door to demons in our life. Think of Adam and Eve. Okay? They open the door. Uh, they, they, they actually opened the door for their kids, too. They opened the door for everybody. After the, they opened the door, they, that door was opened <laughs> for, for everybody. But anyway, they opened the door, and that affected their children. It affected all of us. But um, they opened the door and, and from their personal sin, and that demons came into their life. They were demonically inspired to do that. Also, sins done against us. When someone sins against you, you can, you can become demonized through that situation. For example, you know the Bible teaches us very clearly about forgiveness. And the Bible also says that he who doesn't forgive will be handed over to the tormentors until they, until they forgive. Who do you think the tormentors are? Some of you are looking like, I don't remember that story. Okay, let me just say it really quickly. Uh, remember the, the king, king is, finds out his guy is embezzling money, like $20 million of money, the guy embezzles, and he's going to have him put, thrown in prison. Then he begs him, please don't throw me in prison. I'll pay back everything I can, everything I have. I'll pay it all back. There's no way that guy could have paid it back. If he lived 165,000 years, he couldn't have paid back all he had stolen. Uh, I saw that in the commentary. So I just, anyway, um, then he, the kings forgives him, wipes out the debt, and he goes out and finds a guy who owes him $20, 20 bucks. He takes him by the neck and he chokes him, the Bible says, and he has him thrown into prison to pay back $20 after he'd just been forgiven $20 million. And all of a sudden, the king reinstates the guy's debt that he had already canceled, and he puts him and his family in the prison. And he says, there you're going to stay till you, now you pay back all you said you could pay. Now you've got to pay it back. And he says, uh, he hands him over to the tormentors. When you walk in bitterness and unforgiveness, you are giving the devil the keys. And to get locked up in this prison cell with tormentors, the tormentors are demons, and you don't get out until you forgive. You have the key. I could pray for you all day. Be free, be free, be free. And you're not, nothing's going to happen until you forgive. Okay? So sins done to us can do that. Um, someone can get molested. And then they, they haven't processed their pain. Processing your pain is a really big deal when it comes to inner healing and health. It's processing your pain. But you get molested. Something bad happens. They can receive demons from tra of trauma. They can fear if it happened again. Bitterness, unforgiveness, hate, anger, murder. All this stuff can come in them at, after that time because they're just so mad about what happened to them. And I don't blame them. I don't want to sound unmerciful because it has happened to quite a few people, and it's horrible. It's horrific. It's awful. But in order for you to receive individual personal freedom, you're going to have to forgive your offender. It doesn't mean what they did was right. God's not saying it's right. He wants you to release it and let him become the judge, the one who takes care of those things, and you retire as the judge and let him handle it. Okay? So they can come in generationally through the sins of our parents or our 30, gener 30 people in our family line. 
sins that we commit and sins done against us. You think about the story of Cain and Abel. We can see all three of these in that story. We see uh, what his parents did. There's a generational thing. We see how it affected Cain and Abel afterwards. They're born now. They, didn't get, they get to hear the good stories of, man, you should have seen what it was like a year ago. Oh, man, we used to live in there. Oh, it was sweet in there. And we didn't have to do any work, no sweating. Uh, I mean, just walked around picking stuff off the trees whenever we wanted to. Well, thanks a lot, Mom and Dad. Like, well, what do we, I got to work by the sweat of my brow. There's thorns. There's probably, I don't know if there were bugs before that. Now. I'm thinking there wasn't. I don't, we got mosquitoes and spiders. I don't know. The, all these awful things. And uh, Cain's own sin also affected his life. But his parents started it, and then it progressed. Well, let's look at this story in Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 3 through 7. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Okay, people read this, and they miss a key word that helps explain why Cain was upset, why God was upset. And it was because Abel brought the firstborn or the first fruits of his flock, and a tithe, and Cain just brought whatever he felt like, a tip. Okay, he stole the tithe from God, and God wasn't happy with it. He's not going to receive it. He, he doesn't receive the tip, which is, I'll just give whatever I think I can afford, or, or, or give the tithe that belongs to God. It never, you know, it never says in the Bible to give your tithe. It says bring your tithe, because the tithe belongs to God. It belongs to him. And so um, God didn't respect Cain's tip offering, and Cain was made aware that he did not receive this offering. And instead of fixing the problem, instead of him just going and giving the first fruits, doing what his brother did, he got offended, he got jealous, he got angry with his brother, he started conniving these thoughts in his head, oh, I'll just do this, I'll just, I'm going to get my brother back, he made me look bad, I'm going I'm to take him, I'm going to do something to him. So verse 6 goes on to say, um, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. In the very beginning, sin's at the door. The door's still shut. Jesus is the door. But he's trying to find, the enemy's trying to find some other way in. So Cain, God says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? You can fix this. It's in your power to fix it. Give what you're supposed to give. Bring the, bring the whole tithe, and, and, uh, and I'll accept you just like I did your brother. But he doesn't do what's right. He, uh, he said, but he warns him, if you don't do what's right, sin's at the door, and his desire is for you. Sin or the devil cannot get through the door, but they're looking for some of the way in. And God tells Cain that he should rule over his simple desires, the temptations. You have power to rule over them. But God, in his kindness, came to Cain, gave him a warning, warned him, hey, don't listen to this voice. Don't listen to the voice of the stranger. Don't listen to him. Listen to me. All right? Make it right. Give your tithe. Bring your tithe. He said, don't listen to him. But he doesn't do it. He listens to this voice of the stranger, and he lets offense, he lets pride, he lets greed, he lets jealousy, anger, Maybe, maybe a sibling rivalry or something, rejection and other things that get the best of him. And he invites his brother out to go for a little walk one day. His own brother, born from his same parents as him, go for a little walk one day, and he murdered his own brother. How did he do that? He was demonically influenced by demons. 
Okay, that's how it happened. Um, I want to show you this in uh, Genesis 4, 11 and 12. And now you are cursed. This is God coming to, I'm reading this from the Amplified, and this is God speaking to Cain afterwards. It says, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's shed blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. It will resist producing good crops for you. You shall be a fugitive and a vagabond, roaming aimlessly on the earth, in perpetual exile without a home, a degraded outcast. The door, God didn't open the door, but the devil found some other way in. He got in through offense, bitterness, jealousy, anger, murder, all these things. And uh, when he did, when he listened to the voice of the stranger until he listened to the voice of his Savior, there was a lot of problems. And he actually came, became just like the demons that entered him, didn't he? What did it say about him? He'd be roaming aimlessly in perpetual exile without a home, a degraded outcast, the same thing the devil is. He's an outcast without a home, wandering throughout the whole earth, looking whom he may devour, right? We become like those we listen to. So when he listened to him, he became more like the devil. Romans 6.16 says this, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one slave from whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? And that's exactly what Cain did. He listened to the stranger, and uh, spirits entered him, and he actually killed his own flesh and blood, his own brother. That's a very sad story. But the thief, the devil, found another way in. He came again, again into offense, through pride, jealousy, anger, rejection, fear of rejection, etc. And Cain, when Cain listened to the stranger, instead of God, he became a murderer and he became cursed. He was actually the very first cursed human because God, in, when Adam and Eve sinned, he cursed the ground. Increased pains of childbirth. Uh, the work's going to be harder, but he never cursed the people. Here, a curse was on Cain for what he did. So demons can gain access through sins of our fathers, sins we commit, and sins done to us. And we'll look some more at this in weeks to come um, and show you a little bit more. But uh, you don't have to be demonized. That's might not like that term, but it's better than possessed because they always relate to ownership. But you don't have to be under the influence. The same way you don't have to be under the influence of alcohol, you don't have to be under the influence of demons. Because Jesus came, you may have life and have it more abundantly. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. If there's something you think has just been normal in your life that the Bible doesn't say is normal, you might need deliverance from that. If something normal in your family line that you just say, well, that's how our family always is, but you don't see that normal in the life of Jesus, you might need delivered from that. Okay, maybe you're not a happy person. Maybe you don't have a lot of joy. Maybe you're a lot of uh, worry, anxiety, fear, and dread, kind of stuff like that. Sometimes that stuff is actually demonic. Sometimes it's just what you've meditated on, and sometimes it's actually demonic. So, I'm, again, I'm not saying it scare anybody. I personally went through deliverance, and I, I thought the guy that told me I needed deliverance was crazy, but he was right, and now, as far as I know, I am free indeed. <laughs> and if there's more, I'll get more free indeed. As, we, as God shows me other lies I'm believing. If the truth sets us free, believe lies hold us in bondage. So it's the stuff you don't know, don't think about, don't, haven't thought about, haven't recognized. Something you heard as a kid, something someone told you. You're, you're like this, you're always going to be like this. You're a failure, you're always going to be a failure. All those kind of things, those are the voice of the stranger we're not supposed to listen to. Because the voice of your dad will never talk to you like that. He'll never speak to you. The voice of your Father God will never talk to you like that. 
So I want to pray for you guys, then we're going to take communion together and just celebrate the dominion over darkness by our Savior, Jesus Christ, to set us free, and free indeed. Amen. So God, I thank you in this house that the voice of a stranger we will not follow, but the voice of God we will follow. You go in, you go out, you lead us into great adventures with you, and, we, and you protect us on the way into the sheep pen, on the way out as we go on our way in life and do things. We thank you for your protection. I thank you that we will, your sheep, hear your voice. We hear your voice. We recognize your voice. And we're not going to follow the stranger, the thief, the robber. So God, I thank you for your word. And I just pray that um, more and more people will become into more and more freedom. It's what you want. It's what you want. You desire for your children to be free indeed not bound up in fear what people think, not bound up in the fear of man, the fear of loss, rejection, fear of whatever, failure, not bound up in the opinions of man, but released and free in the arms of Jesus. God, I bless your children right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If I was sharing that, you felt the Lord prompted you something that you might have something, an area of your life you're not free indeed in, just text me, call me sometime. We'll talk about it. We'll pray together. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a four-hour session. It's not like the movies. It can go like that. Remember, the first message was like, Jesus cast him out by the finger of God. It's like, a, like it's just a breath. It's not a, it doesn't have to be this big, dramatic thing. But you can have dramatic uh, freedom. <laughs> you can have amazing freedom increase just from that little thing going away. Amen. I want to ask the elders to come forward and prepare the Lord's table. We're going to take of the Lord's Supper together as a family. The kind of love that's modeled, demonstrated behind me is, uh, is not normal. It's not normal. Here's God is in heaven. Everything's good for him. I mean, I'm sure he has some disappointments and things, how things went down, but then he knew about it at the same time. And he had a plan before the foundation of the world to redeem mankind back to himself. He's the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And God did this. He sent his son Jesus because he loves you. Because he loves you. Not because he knew you'd be a perfect person or that you'd never make a mistake. You'd never have a bad thought or he never, he would, you know, you just do everything just perfectly. That's foolish. It's just a, it's a mirage. Pretend it's not real. Okay? He'll bring you from glory to glory, but no one is perfect but him. But he came not because you're perfect. But he came because he's perfect and he perfectly loves you. He perfectly loves you, completely loves you. So we're going to take this together as a family. I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a minute and receive the elements and go back to your seat. We'll take it together. But I just want to pray, God, I thank you. Your body was broken for us, that our bodies might be made whole. Your blood was poured out for us, that we might be forgiven. The thorns were pressed in your head, that we might be delivered from mental anguish and torment. Nails are put in your feet, in your hands, that we would have freedom to walk in the gospel, the preparation of peace, to lay our hands on the sick, they will recover. You redeemed our life from the pit, and you crowned us with love and compassion. You became cursed for us, that we'd be blessed. You became sick, that we'd be healthy. You became poor, that we'd be rich in you. You did all of this for us because you love us. And God, I thank you for that today. 
And today we do this not in remembrance of our past, not in remembrance of our failures. We take communion today as a family in remembrance of you and what you did for us. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you guys to come forward and receive from the Lord's table this morning.